0: Doctors don't have a clear understanding of it. It started opening up my mind to like, how does the human body work? This is a real thing that really affects people. This is a
1: major pain.
0: Welcome to Major Pain. I'm your host, Jesse Mercury, and this week we'll be speaking with Shauna about her diffuse systemic sclerosis, also known as scleroderma. And this conversation is absolutely fascinating. I was riveted as Shauna was telling me about her experiences because Shauna's actually been through a really intense procedure known as a stem cell transplant where they actually use her own stem cells to completely reset her immune system. And I, I didn't know anything like this was even possible. So this is really, really interesting stuff. Scleroderma is a really intense disease. This is the second person we've talked to with a form of scleroderma. Back in episode 11, we spoke with Cammy, who has a subset of limited scleroderma known as Crest. So, I was really curious to speak with someone else who had a different form of scleroderma to see what the similarities and differences were. But what I wasn't expecting is to go on this journey with Jana, where we learn about this really intense procedure that she had been through, unlike anything that almost anyone in the world has experienced. It's really... Really incredible. So I'm so grateful to Shauna for coming on the show and sharing this with us, and very very excited to share this one with you. Speaking of Cammy's appearance on the show on episode 11 with her husband Evan, I just got a comment on the website on this episode uh, from Peanut. It says, "How do I email this woman Cammy regarding Crest? I was recently diagnosed. Thank you for this. This is the most info I've been given regarding this disease. My doctors are useless. They pass me around. Thank you again for this podcast." You might have helped me pr- prolong my life in a great way. I felt so alone until tonight. Um, I, I got so emotional when I saw this because, first of all, I'm so glad that you found the podcast and that it was helpful for you. That uh, is incredibly rewarding for me as the producer of this show to know that that happened. That really, um, that's what I want from this show is to help people feel less alone, Uh, And I'm also just so angry on your behalf that this has been your experience so far that you feel like your doctors are passing you around. You've just been diagnosed with with this terrifying disease and that your doctors aren't even really explaining to you what to expect or what to do. I mean, that's heartbreaking and it shouldn't be that way. And I'm sorry that that's what you're experiencing. I've experienced that so many times myself where I go to a doctor looking for answers and instead just feel like I'm being shuffled around for years and years just waiting for one of them to say that they can help me instead of saying, oh, well, in order for you to get help, you have to jump through this extra hoop. So I, it just drives me crazy that that's what our system is. So, if this commenter is listening, I did send your your comment and your email to Cami, who seemed excited to get in touch with you so uh, you know we we had to we got to take care of each other we got to do this ourselves because if you have a complex, rare, undiagnosed, or invisible illness or disability, it can be so hard to get care and so hard to feel like you 're making any progress. So my my great hope for this show is to help people feel that in the interim as we're waiting for our doctors to, to get on board. We got our 14th five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. So thank you to whoever did that. I really appreciate it. We're getting closer and closer to hopefully showing up in the Apple Podcast search results. Every single rating and review is so helpful. So if you are enjoying the show, please leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you listen to our podcast, because that is one of the most powerful ways to help get this show out to new listeners. And I really, really appreciate it. And the last thing I'll say before we get started is I want to remind you that we recently started a Patreon campaign to support this podcast. You can find it at patreon.com slash majorpainpodcast or there's a link in the description of the podcast. We have three subscription tiers available starting at $2 a month if you'd like to become an official supporter of the show, $7 a month to become a patron and hear your name in the end credits of every episode, or $25 a month to become a producer. Producers won't just hear their name in the end credits, you'll also be personally thanked by me in the introduction of every episode for which you are a producer of the show. I'm so grateful for the two patrons that have signed up already. It is wonderful to have some help shouldering the financial burden of producing this show, and I really need your help to to do so and to keep this going. So, uh, check out patreon.com slash majorpainpodcast. And with that, it is time to jump into this incredible conversation with Shauna about diffuse scleroderma. Shauna, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you, Jesse. I'm happy to be here.
0: (laughs) Yes, I'm so excited to talk to you today. Um, We're both in Seattle, but not in the same room. (laughs) COVID. (laughs) Yeah, nice, nice gray day in Seattle today. Mm-hmm. So, Shauna, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself?
1: Yeah, um, my name is Shauna. My pronouns are she, they. Um, I, yeah, we're in Seattle, uh, the unceded traditional land of the Duwamish people, past and present. Um, I've lived here for the last uh, seven or eight years, eight years almost, with my um, partner, Jax, and our cat. <laughs> uh, and <laughs> I've worked in the theater industry for the last, for about that time, uh, in production and stage management. Uh, and most recently, my focus has been casting. Oh. Um, but aside from professionally, I like to hike and read and love stories of all kinds. So, uh, theater, of course, uh, but Film, uh, podcasts, reading, love
0: it all. Awesome. Do you have a favorite genre?
1: Um, recently, I've gotten really into nonfiction, kind of wow. broadly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, I will read anything, really.
0: <laughs> awesome. Yeah, we we first came to know each other uh, through our theater connections because my, my partner, Andy was in a production of indecent yes. and your partner drew some amazing uh pieces of art of the actors from that play uh, including andy and it was really amazing we we she still has them up in her apartment when she and i were living together we had them up in our house for for quite a while um, oh
1: that's lovely to hear um yeah, yeah indecent was a um, such an important piece of theater um, for my partner and I and kind of the first time that we saw a queer um, love story on stage uh, that really resonated with us.
2: Wow. Um,
1: and she's an artist, uh, a digital artist. So, yeah, uh, she made some art inspired by that. And, yeah, we still talk about the production all the time. we want to see it again.
0: Yeah, it was such a special show. And I remember you two actually came over uh to hang out once and I I don't remember it very well because I was having a rough day I feel like I said hi and then like went to lie down I don't remember exactly what happened
1: yeah we we had dinner uh which was great had a great conversation and then um yeah you had to you had to go upstairs and rest and we ended up playing some video games
0: Uh, I missed the video games no
1: video games we'll have to do it again sometime
0: absolutely let's do it (laughs) Um, yeah, so I didn't, I didn't even know that you had a major pain or, you know, we didn't have a chance to talk about it that day because I was barely present, but we get to do it today, which is so exciting. So Shauna, what is your major pain?
1: My, um, major pain is diffuse systemic sclerosis or scleroderma, Hmm. uh, which is a rare chronic autoimmune disease, uh, of the connective tissue basically, an excess of collagen, which is a protein that holds your body together. Um, And when there's an excess of collagen, there's uh, tightening in your joints and in your skin. Um, So sclero means hard and derma means skin, which is where the name comes from. And it affects everyone differently. But there are two major categories that you can fall in. Um, The first is limited, and it affects about 60% of scleroderma patients. And the limited part of the name comes from the fact that it's usually limited to below your elbow um, and below your knees and in your face um, when it affects the skin, and it's often part of this group of diseases uh, or conditions uh, called crest, which if you want to learn more about, you should listen to episode 11 <laughs> yes. of this podcast. Um,
0: yeah. With Cammy and Evan.
1: Yes. Um, and she has an incredible story um, with that, but I have the other form of scleroderma, which is diffuse. Uh, and it has that, uh, a more widespread effect on the body. So um, above the knees, um, above the elbows, as as well as below, and uh, has more organ involvement. Um, So generally people who um, have diffuse scleroderma, it can affect your GI tract, which is your mouth, esophagus, um, stomach, and intestines, your lungs, um, your kidneys, and your heart. Uh, the latter two being the most dangerous um, if they're involved. Um, luckily for me, I just have um, the GI involvement and lung involvement. Um, and then it, uh, I guess the most um, visible effect is in my hands. Um, I have a lot of collagen buildup in my uh, the joints of my fingers and wrists. Um, so, I can show you on video, although I don't think we're <laughs> on the podcast, but I can't move my hands straighter than um, this. My fingers are like on oh, the right okay. hand at 90 degrees. Um, and then on the left, my pinky's at 90, but um, they they kind of get a little bit better from there on the left <laughs>
0: hand. Wow.
1: Uh, yeah. So,
0: yeah, this yeah. is so interesting because we just talked to Cami about one form of scleroderma. It's so interesting that. To- to talk to someone about another form. And besides that, even if you two had the same form, it manifests so differently in every person. Um, So, I mean, a lot of these diseases do, like we just spoke with Lauren about MS and every Mm -hmm. person's journey with MS is different. So, um, so yeah, I'm really interested to hear, to hear more about, you know, from someone else. It's exciting for me to, to be talking to you today. So, so what does this feel like? I mean, I can see that your hands, you can't straighten your fingers out all the way. Is that painful?
1: Uh, it is painful. I but I've also um been dealing with scleroderma since I was in high school. So it's a pain that I've gotten used to. I always find it hard when they when, I, when you're at the doctor's office and they ask you what your pain number is for today. <laughs> <laughs> Cuz my pain is pretty generally like I think a normal person's three or four would be by zero. Right. right, right. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it, it's painful. It's uh, I think it's frustrating more than anything else. Um, like sometimes I'll go to reach something and I, I can't grab it correctly uh, and it will fall or um, yeah, just like holding my toothbrushes is, is something that, takes a little bit more effort than I think it takes for for um, people who don't have scleroderma. So, um, it's all stuff that I've gotten used to. Uh, but I, I think when, when I was first experienced this, experiencing this, it all felt very frustrating <laughs> to not be able to do things like I was used to.
0: Absolutely. So this first manifested in high school.
1: Yeah. Um, I, uh, When I was a sophomore in high school, I was working at a coffee and tea shop in Colorado and I was taking cold drinks to people and I would notice that my fingers would get white and numb. And my godfather was a med student at the time and had been an EMT and he also noticed and said, that looks like Raynaud's, nodes, um, which is basically poor circulation. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it can be fairly common and, uh, there's not necessarily a set treatment. It's just something that you manage for the rest of your life. Um, and that was kind of the first sign of scleroderma. And I think it's, uh, I guess I should say that growing up, um, I didn't, Go to the doctor very often. Um, I grew up in a single parent household um, with my mom, who's been such an incredible support on my health journey, but definitely um, is more interested in a holistic hmm. approach to okay. um, medicine. So if I was sick as a kid, I would uh, take a mustard bath and go to the chiropractor.
0: What <laughs> What is a mustard bath?
1: It, it, those are two
0: words I've never heard in the same sentence before <laughs> mustard and bath
1: yeah you can get it at most like health grocery food stores it's uh, it's like a mustard powder that um, you put in a bathtub and you soak and it's supposed to um, like get rid of colds and and flus or whatnot uh-huh. <laughs> um, so that was my main uh healthcare (laughs) growing up
0: (laughs) do you smell like mustard for days
1: yeah it's it's a very strong (laughs) strong smell Um, uh, but yeah so when I when my godfather was like I think you have notes it it didn't ever really occur to me that I should go to a doctor and see see if that was the only problem Mm. Um, but when I was Uh, In college, just starting college, uh, I noticed that the Raynaud's was getting a little bit worse and that my fingers were starting to swell. And um, I am not a very coordinated person. And I um, had hit my hands on on the wall or something and had some wounds on my knuckles that were having a really difficult time healing. And I thought maybe it had something to do with the Reynolds but um, didn't, uh, wasn't sure. Uh, so when I was visiting my godparents again, uh, I asked my godfather what he thought and he got out a big medical book that he had been studying and flipped to the page of scleroderma and said, I think this is what is going on. Wow. Um, and you should see, it's a little more involved and you should see a rheumatologist.
0: Um, wow. So you were diagnosed before you even got a diagnosis.
1: Yes. is amazing. He,
0: he like pinpointed it. That's crazy.
1: Yes. He's he's incredible. Yeah. Um, and I'm so grateful because uh, scleroderma is a disease that primarily affects older people or is usually diagnosed in older people and uh it's it's not a it's not a common disease so if i had gone to a doctor and presented my symptoms i don't know how long it would have been before getting right. this diagnosis if my godfather had not been like i think this is what you have
0: you're blowing my mind right now because you skipped the the diagnostic process which yes. is like the thing that i'm still inside of <laughs> it's yes. not it's incredible i yeah. mean you know i've I don't have scleroderma and obviously that's a in- intense diagnosis to get, but to, to get there so effortlessly is, is really shocking.
1: Yes. Uh, I'm so grateful, um, to have had my godfather, uh, wow. to do that, to, to point me on the right path.
2: Um, yeah.
1: and, and it, uh, it was really hard to, to hear that. I, I am a person who processes things on my own. So actually, when you told me, I I didn't think that much of it. I, <laughs> I, knew the and I knew I would see a rheumatologist, but I kind of was like, okay, I'll file that away and I'll think about it. And I remember that evening um, Googling it, which mm. <laughs> I don't recommend Googling as your first experience <laughs> in <laughs> <your> diagnosis. <laughs> I uh, I mean, I am all for being an advocate for yourself as a patient and finding out as much as possible about your condition and um, uh, as much as you're comfortable with. But I was so overwhelmed uh, by all of the information. And again, it, it affects mostly older people. So the um, prognosis and the life expectancy is not uh very positive
0: <laughs> yeah tell, uh, me, tell me about that because I, I don't know if it's the same with uh, limited and uh, limited scleroderma but we talked about that with cami so how what is it in your in your situation
1: um if your are uh, lo- if your kidneys and heart are involved um it can be as as short as a year um uh, wow. a lot a lot of the people who have At least at the time that I was diagnosed, a lot of the people who are diagnosed are are much later in their lives, like they say 30s and above, but really it's like 40s and 50s and above. Um, And, you know, lung involvement can. For me, um, if my lung involvement gets too bad, that is the thing that could be life threatening. Um, And. Uh, I, I didn't know any of this at the time. I didn't know that I had diffuse scleroderma. Um, I assumed that I had limited because all of my symptoms were the, were part of what could be considered limited. Most of the swelling and the, um, Raynaud's were on my fingers and, um, I had never been to a doctor, so I really didn't know what was going on internally. Um, and seeing a rheumatologist can take months. It sure. is very hard to get a first appointment with a rheumatologist. Um, so the uh, I, when I called my mom to tell her that this is what um, my godfather said that I probably have, she got this appointment with this family doctor. And uh, I was able to go in and say, this is what my godfather said. Can we test for it? And there is a blood test that you can do um, for, I think, a lot of um, immunosuppress. Uh, autoimmune diseases. Mm-hmm. You can do an ANA test. Right, right. Different antibodies can can mark different um, mm-hmm. autoimmune diseases. Right. So my scleroderma um, antibody test came back positive. Um, so that's when I was like officially officially diagnosed. And again, at that time, thought I had limited scleroderma. And this family doctor that I saw um, said, "You need to see an actual <laughs> rheumatologist." <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, uh, was in, I just started going to college, um, I was the first generation in my family to go to college and school always meant a lot to me. So I wasn't really willing to compromise, uh, and asked if I could, if he could refer me to a rheumatologist near where I went to school. Mm. Uh, and the closest I went to Amherst college in Massachusetts, uh, which is, Uh, kind of a little farming. (laughs) It's a college town, but in a farming area. And the closest rheumatologist was about 30 to 40 minutes on the bus uh, in Hadley, Massachusetts. And I went a few times, started some medication, started um, physical therapy and felt incredibly overwhelmed balancing health and school at the same time. And eventually decided that because my symptoms were manageable for me at the time that I was not going to go to the doctor anymore and, uh, and decided to throw myself fully into school. And uh, I, have some regrets about that but ultimately i'm really glad that i was able to have as normal a college experience as i could uh but then when i graduated um my symptoms had gotten slowly but progressively worse and i made the decision that i was going to focus on my health Mm. um so yeah (laughs) i moved to the pacific northwest and uh, decided with my mom that we're going to take a two-pronged approach and do the holistic side and go to Bestier Clinic in Fremont. Mm, yeah. And then uh, do the Western side um, because I had uh, health insurance. when um, I moved here. And uh, I, I'm i not going to go or I I don't have a lot of memories of the holistic side to be completely honest um, because I didn't do it for very long mm-hmm. um, It, I just graduated I didn't have a job and it was easier to get western medicine covered by insurance yeah. than it was uh, to go the naturopath way so um, I ended up seeing a rheumatologist in Tacoma who was incredible and, uh, because I hadn't seen a doctor said, I want to get all of these tests so that we can have a baseline of where you're at, uh, for, to monitor any progress. Um, so I got all these tests and, uh, it was 2014, October, uh, or September. Uh, my partner was out. we just found a place in Seattle and I got a phone call from the Tacoma doctor's office, a nurse saying, uh, hey, we got your test results back. You have diffuse systemic sclerosis. Uh, The doctor wants to see you again. (laughs) And that was the first time that I had heard that I had diffuse scleroderma. And looking back, I'm still kind of... uh, gobsmacked <laughs> that the nurse uh told me over the phone i don't think she really understood what that could mean for me but yeah. um it, it was the first time where i um i kind of realized the gravity of this condition and what it could mean for the rest of my life um and jackson i went to dahlia bakery in downtown Seattle and got a whole coconut cream pie and he's the whole thing <laughs> <laughs> to cope with that diagnosis. Um, but that, yeah, that's like the full diagnosis story. Wow.
0: <laughs> I, I love, the, I love how that story ended. I, yeah. when I, so I had, I had testicular cancer when I was um, right before my 30th birthday and the day I got diagnosed, I went to this tea shop in the International District and spent like $200. Oh,
2: my gosh. <laughs> I got I mean, like
0: this fancy tea tray that I still use every morning and like oh. a bunch of tea and a nice guy wand. And I just like went to town. I'm like, you know what? I'm treating myself right now.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, when you get something that, that or when you find out something about yourself that 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 is that life altering, you need to treat yourself. You need
0: pie. <laughs> yes. You need a whole pie.
1: Or a whole tea set.
0: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You just need, you need the thing that you have been wanting and haven't spent money on. Of course, I had a job back then, so it was a little easier, but um, yeah, wow. So, I'm, I'm curious to hear about the transition from naturopathic to Western medicine and mm-hmm. not to, you know... I've had a lot of experience with naturopathic medicine as well, and there's definitely been things that were super helpful inside of it. But there's, there was other things that were really unhelpful. And I feel like it's really hard to navigate that world. Um, but it sounds like you kind of grew up in that world and then found yourself in the Western medicine side of things. So I'm curious to hear a little bit about your perspective on that.
1: Yeah, um, I, I'm really grateful to have grown up with the holistic side of things because I do think that, um, your diet and your lifestyle choices have can greatly impact your, your health. Um, but growing up, like my mom was always into organic foods and I've been a vegetarian for years. So, um, I, I kind of already had, had the, um, some of the benefits of, of the naturopathic side uh, as as practices in my life already, um, so it kind of made the switch to Western medicine easier. I didn't have to go through and make all of these changes in my life because they were already there. Um, that said, naturopathic medicine is is a lot more than just just diet and lifestyle. Um, I I've done muscle testing. Mm. Um, I, I've lots of different herbs. Um I've done uh acupuncture uh, on and off for years. Um and I have I've found them all to be helpful, but I think that for me western medicine has uh, garnered more results, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well you you're in such a rare position you have a rare disease yes and this is the side of western medicine where if you can get a diagnosis for something rare and there is anything any treatment or any options that you can do um it can be so life-changing you know versus like in on the naturopathic side there you know I, i love that you bring up the diet on the naturopathic side because i i think that Food is medicine in a lot of ways. Like, what you put in your body is huge as far as your overall health is concerned. And this is true for everybody. And I think it's so interesting that, um, you know, I was just talking to Amira about this a couple episodes ago about, like, holes in the Western medicine system, which is that they don't look at your body as a whole; They look at the tiny specific thing, you know, that that, that specialist looks at. So, like, your rheumatologist is looking... Um, at this one condition, but not necessarily as your your body as a whole. Whereas mm-hmm. when you go to a naturopath, those are going to be day one questions of like, you know, what is your diet and exercise? And I mean, the doctor will probably ask you that as well, but a, a naturopath is going to go more in depth as far as, um, you know, what you're eating and how you treat yourself and the holistic picture of yourself, um, mm-hmm. of your body as a whole. Um, and Western medicine could definitely use some of that. Like that would definitely be helpful, but as far as like looking for you know scientific breakthroughs and um, things that can give you and t- like extreme results um, or even life saving results, Western medicine is where you need to go. So there, I do think there's obviously like benefit to both. There's dangers in both. There's pitfalls in both. And to it, it's just so interesting to me that you grew up in one and kind of transitioned to the other. But you 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 garner benefit from both is is what I'm gathering.
1: Yes, absolutely. And I, I have actually been really lucky in my Western medicine experience um, because after I stopped seeing the, or after I got this diagnosis with um, diffuse scleroderma, I, uh, we had moved to Seattle and we didn't have a car. So getting to Tacoma wasn't really feasible. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, with this new diagnosis, was able to get into UW Medical Center. Mm. Uh, they have the Center for Interstitial Lung Disease, uh, which has a specific clinic for scleroderma patients where you can see um, a rheumatologist and a pulmonologist, so a lung doctor as well, um, at the same time, at the same appointment. Um, wow. So, and I've seen the same duo since then Um, i have had the same pulmonologist and rheumatologist my my whole time at uw uh, and it's been so helpful to have to know that i have two doctors who specialize in something very specific working together on um, my case that has those two specific things intertwined
0: that's amazing yeah you you commented on the major pain website um, mm-hmm. talking about this as well. I, you just reminded me that you mentioned that you were going to UW as well. Um, I keep saying this over and over, but if you if you are having a hard time in the Western medical system, go to a teaching hospital like the University absolutely. of Washington. Yeah, absolutely. So, okay, so once you got this diagnosis, how did your life change? Uh, and part of that question is like, what are the um, treatment options that you were given?
1: Um, yeah, so one of those... First things that I learned when you Google scleroderma is that there is no set treatment plan, um, that there is no cure. There's, there's no set treatment plan. There's no, um, there's nothing that has been proven to work for everyone. Uh, It's a lot of symptom management. Um, So when I started seeing my team at uh, UW we started to try different medications and kind of the first thing um, that happened was looking for an immunosuppressant that would work. Um, I'm not a doctor, but the way that (laughs) I understand autoimmune diseases is is that in a um, healthy immune system, your uh, immune cells are there to fight off um, viruses and to keep you healthy. And when you have an autoimmune disease, your immune system is overactive and uh, starts attacking itself. Yeah. So the the first um, medications that we tried were immunosuppressants uh, to to um, stop it being overactive. And the first one that I tried um, is a drug called methotrexate, which is um, technically chemotherapy in a pill. <laughs> And um, I was on it for about six months and I was not feeling great. (laughs) I was super nauseous. Um, And part of my regular care um, as a scleroderma scleroderma patient is to get pulmonary function tests every three to six months to measure how well my lungs are doing. And my lung numbers uh, took a big dip I was on methotrexate and um, my rheumatologist uh, decided to switch to a different medication, which is uh, called Cellcept or mycophenolate. And uh, it is not a chemotherapy, but it's another immunosuppressant. Uh, I'm still on that medication. Uh, it's, it's worked fairly well <laughs> with minimal side effects for me. Uh, there's still some like nausea that I deal with, um, but other than that, I don't notice a lot. Uh, when I first went on it, um, it wasn't uh, my lung numbers were still fluctuating, and we weren't sure if this was going to be um, the right choice for me. So my doctor also recommended um, infusions of. I think it's called Rituxin, which again another immunosuppressant, and they are six-hour infusions oh. that uh, ha- that you get um, two doses of every six months. Wow! So uh, yes, so you go to the doctor, you get an infusion for six hours, uh, you wait a week or two, and then you come back, you get another infusion, and you do that every six months. And the first. Couple of days to maybe up to a week after getting an infusion, I felt awful. It yeah. just your body is processing so much um, that I was exhausted. Um, but then, for a brief period afterwards, I would feel much better. And I looking back, I'm not sure if that was just because I felt so awful that <laughs> I just felt okay. Uh, but uh, after three rounds of that, so a year and a half, um, things still weren't getting better. I um, had been interning in theater for a year and had worked really hard and gotten my first professional uh, job as an assistant stage manager uh, in the summer of 2016. and. Was so excited, was so uh, glad that I was getting to do what I loved and get paid for it. I was working with some incredible people, and we got to Tech Week, um, which is uh, for non theater people, it's a very, very intense week right before you put on a show where your hours are crazy and you're <laughs> all working so hard. And uh, I felt so sick. Um, but kind of powered through it with, with my excitement and uh, was very quietly sick on breaks in other rooms <laughs> and went to my doctor and said, um, I'm, I'm not doing well. And my PFT, uh, my pulmonary function test numbers confirmed that things were, were starting to go downhill again, um, even on the cell sept and the and that's when my doctor uh, brought up this possibility of a stem cell transplant.
0: Oh wow! Okay, we're back. We had to close a window because birds were birds wanted to be a part of the podcast. <laughs>
1: <laughs> be a part of the podcast. Yeah, but um, you,
0: you left us on a cliffhanger. So you you were told about a stem cell transplant.
1: Yes. Um, yeah. So my doctor uh, mentioned a stem cell transplant uh, as a Possible option, and this was the first time that I heard of a treatment aside from a pill <laughs> that uh, could poss- potentially help with bladder men. It's um, uh, some other names. It's known by our a bone marrow transplant. Um, there's this acronym HSCT, which I actually don't know what it stands for, <laughs> but that is another name. Uh, and uh, a stem cell transplant is. Typically, a treatment um, or an approved treatment for leukemia, which is blood cancer, uh, where you um, use chemotherapy to uh, kill your immune system and uh, you reintroduce healthy immune cells or bone marrow uh, or stem cells and uh, basically to reboot your immune system. Wow. Um, which Amazing. it is incredible that uh, that this is a, a potential treatment. Um, so uh, I did some research into it and decided that this was something that I wanted to try. I was so excited to get something yeah. uh, that um, was was still in trials, but had the potential to really, Help. um it's it uh is not a cure for scleroderma but has been proven to slow down progression significantly um and to um kind of the only thing known to put scleroderma in a kind of recession or um remission
0: wow um, this is mind-blowing
1: <laughs> yes uh so i um told my doctor this was something that I was very interested in. And he wrote a referral to um, a trial, the stat trial that was happening as a partnership between UW Seattle Cancer Care Alliance and Fred Hutch. Uh, So being in Seattle has been such a blessing to my health. (laughs) Yeah. Um, You're already here. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And it took... Uh, So that was around September of of 2016, and it took until December to get an appointment to see uh, the doctor who was running that trial. And uh, in December, I had a three-hour appointment with this doctor uh, and my, my mom and my partner, and he answered Every question we had took us through the whole process, took me through my case uh, as, as far uh, up until that point. And uh, it is the most thorough I've ever had a Dr. be He wrote like a 60-page letter afterwards to go over everything that he had gone over. So I had it in writing. Oh,
0: wow. Um,
1: and I felt so... Um, safe and and, uh, and and just genuine excitement. Um,
0: amazing, that this amazing. was a
1: possibility for me. Um, and and things uh, after that appointment, I I decided that yes, this is something that I want to pursue. Um, it took another um, five months or so to get it actually scheduled, um, and my symptoms continued to get worse. Um, I started having a lot of difficulty, um, swallowing, which is not a pleasant sensation. Um, I was visiting my God family again, and, um, this is kind of (laughs) forwarding. This is kind of a gross story, but it's it's also very funny. excited. Um, my, um, God family is Russian and we're having a more traditional Russian breakfast, which is just bread, <laughs> and <laughs> and cheese slices and meat, which I, I don't eat meat, but I was eating some bread and cheese and, um, my, uh, my God family, they have kids and those kids are my God kids. Um, one at the time one was, um, three years old. And, uh, and the other one was five or six and we're eating breakfast. I am having difficulty swallowing this piece of bread and cheese. And usually I just take a sip of water and I'm able to get it down. This was the first time that that did not work. Um, I stood up and started to panic a little bit, uh, was walking around, went to the sink, um, was kind of like flailing a little bit. Jackson and partner was panicked <laughs> as well and turned to my godfather He was like, is there anything that you can do to help? And he said she's having an esophageal spasm, like we just have to wait for it to pass. Um, I'm able to get it back up. And my the youngest godchild who's three years old <laughs> looks from me. <laughs> Just regurgitated in the sink, and to the rest of the family, and just goes gross. <laughs> and starts to eat her eggs again.
2: Wow. Um, so,
1: yeah, uh, that that was the first uh, really scary swallowing incident that I had. Um, that just made it more clear that I needed this stem cell transplant. Mm-hmm. Um, but this was uh, hopefully going to be the thing that was going to help, um, help treat this disease. So in April of, uh, 2017, I started the stem cell process, which is, uh, long and intense. (laughs) Um, it starts with a month of tests Uh, through Seattle Cancer Care Alliance and UW Medical Center, where they get a baseline of everything, Um, particularly for scleroderma patients, because it can affect so many parts of your body. They want to make sure that you are um, healthy enough to go through such an intense process. Um, So I I got, um, I had a physical exam. I had Tubes and tubes and tubes and tubes of blood work. (laughs) Um, I had uh, heart monitors, uh, EKG, chest CT, more PFTs. Um, I had the worst test I have ever had in my entire life, which is an esophagram. Ooh! you know what this is?
0: I've never heard of it
1: so it is to test is to test your esophagus to see how your muscles are working. Um, it, it can also be known as a barium swallow.
2: Mm.
1: They put you on this, um, you stand on this <laughs> machine basically, um, that you're, you're strapped to. Um, and they, there's a, um, ultrasound or, uh, x-ray ab- above you. Uh, or on your esophagus <laughs> and they give you this uh, liquid to drink called barium which is basically liquid chalk it's <laughs> white it, I think it's more like liquid concrete <laughs> it's so <laughs> gross and bad and they make you sip it and then they tilt the thing that you're standing on so that you are like laying, laying down and they, they shift it uh, up and down, or yeah, I guess diagonally, <laughs> so that they can watch the barium move through your esophagus wow. to see if the muscles are, are working. So, the first, yeah, you start with the barium swallow, and then you are swallowing barium and what I think is really just a stale marshmallow, <laughs> so that they can compare it. Liquids to food, um, and then you do like pop rocks so that they can see the air bubbles. Wow! <laughs> and um, it is so unpleasant and goes on for ages. <laughs> if you can avoid a barium swallow, highly recommend it.
0: <laughs> no fun. Would not no recommend. recommend. <laughs> Would not recommend. Um, zero stars. But
1: zero stars. <laughs> but if, if you need it to get a stem cell transplant, you I do it wow. <laughs> um, and uh yeah the it's funny because I think right after that I had my favorite test which was the bone marrow aspiration where they collect some of your bone marrow from your hip uh which I don't think is many people's favorite but I had a wonderful nurse um at Seattle Cancer Care Alliance, who just made me feel so safe, and played some jazz music, and I had an opioid lollipop, and I was just living my best life.
0: What What's an <laughs> opioid lollipop?
1: It's uh, It looks like a lollipop, and it's uh, some pain medication. Oh wow! <laughs> that uh, That is supposed to help so that you do not feel or care about. <laughs> A huge needle going into your side.
0: Oh my God.
1: Um, so, yeah, those were the main tests that I had. Uh, it took a, um, a month because, along with all the tests, you have to go through um, training basically to um, uh, learn the proper procedures uh, and safety things for post transplant. Um, so, there were a lot of classes that. Um, I went to and, and with my mom and my partner uh, were my caregivers during that time. And after that month concluded, I met with the doctors again who said, yes, you're healthy. You are sick enough to warrant this transplant, but not too sick that we think that it would be a bad idea to do it. So we're going to do it. Wow. <laughs> uh, and I, yeah, it started the process. Um, the first thing that happens is that you get a Hickman line, which is a central line that goes from um, a large vein in your neck um, over your collarbone and kind of sticks out of your chest. And there are two lumens. Um,
0: So this is like a, an IV that goes in one spot and out another sort of.
1: Yes. Yeah. It's like, it's a huge tube um, that, that is in a vein, um, that comes out so that, uh, you don't have to have an IV for blood draws. Um, it's also used because there is a lot of stuff being taken out of your body and a lot of stuff being put into your body during the whole process. Um, so to make it easier, um, they, they insert this tube, um, that I miss every single time I have a blood drop because you don't feel anything. It's, it's already in there. And it just, uh, can hook up whatever tubes they need and, and draw it out. Um, so that was like the first big thing that I got. And then, um, you, I started Neupogen shots, which is a growth, uh, um, a medication to help you grow your your bone marrow. Hmm. This is where <laughs> it is very clear that I'm not a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't fully understand the process, but um, basically it uh, increases your, your stem cell production to the point where it, there's too much in your bone marrow. So it goes out into your bloodstream. Oh, wow. Um, and uh, you, you, I was hooked up uh, for this process called apheresis, which is kind of the most incredible thing, I think, um, where they hook up the tubes to your two lumens and in one tube, they're taking your blood out and they spin it around in this machine and the stem cells are heavier than your normal blood. So they can um, siphon them off from the bottom and collect them. And then through the other lumen, they're putting back your blood without the stem cells in it.
0: So they're taking out your stem cells. Yes. Incredible. I've never heard any of this before. This is blowing my mind. This is crazy. This is not not, not what I was expecting. This is fantastic.
1: (laughs) I still can't believe I I actually experienced it.
0: Yeah. uh, Incredible.
1: uh, Incredible. what What is possible medically. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so we were able. I think they they want like 2.5 million stem cells uh, is the goal to collect that many, and I think I I was like seven million, classic overachiever. Ooh,
0: show off over here. All, the, <laughs> yeah. all the stem cells.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, so I was very excited that I that we got that many. Um, and then you wait, uh, or I waited a week. Uh for my numbers to settle down <laughs> to to stop producing that much uh, uh stem cells. And then I was admitted to the hospital. Um uh, I went to UW uh eight northeast was where my little room was. And uh very quickly you start um really high doses of chemotherapy. I got um, four days of cytoxin, uh, and a protein called ATG that also, um, kills, I think, specifically T and B immune cells. Um, the goal being to wipe out your immune system to basically make it as low as possible so that it's killing all of these immune cells that have been programmed to attack
2: your body. Wow.
1: Um, Yeah. Insane.
2: Yeah. Amazing. (laughs)
1: Um, Once they uh, saw that my numbers were at zero or as low as they could go, um, I had my stem cell birthday, which is May 15th. And uh, they reintroduced the stem cells that I had grown. Uh, and we waited for two weeks um, for my immune system to regrow with these healthy, healthier immune cells that hadn't been programmed with, um, with the scleroderma.
0: Wow. Um, so it's yeah. your your own stem cells are... Are reintroduced in your body. So they take out, they force your body to overgrow stem cells, take them out, reset your immune system by killing it with chemotherapy, and then give you your stem cells back and hope that they function better. Yes. What, what, I I don't know if you know the answer to this, but um, how do you, how do you train the stem cells to not react the way that they were before you took them out of your body?
1: I don't know. <laughs> I assume that it has something to do with, um, well, a lot of research um, or uh, a common thing, belief that is held in the autoimmune community is that um, an autoimmune disease is, can be triggered by something, hmm. a stressful event in your life. Or um
0: or a virus. A
1: virus, yes. Yeah. Um so, or even
0: like can genetic defects play any role in that? We or do I, we just yeah. don't know?
1: We don't know, but yeah. I think that that's totally a possibility. There's so much that we don't know medically. Right. But right. I'm like, anything could be a possibility. But because it is something that's triggered in your in your body, um, I think the thought process is that if we kill all of the cells that have been triggered and reintroduce cells that haven't been triggered, mm-hmm. then th- they won't have that, that want to hurt your own body. Yeah,
0: incre- absolutely incredible. I'm my, my brain is spinning right now. I've never, I've never heard any of this before. This is astonishing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm just, like, thinking about... I My brain is, like, processing. This is incredible. Like, Because whenever I've heard of stem cell treatments, I've heard of, you know, like, the controversy around extracting, um, like, fetal stem cells. Um, and so, that's when I think of stem cells, that's what I think of. I didn't even know it was possible to generate your own stem cells, like, overgenerate and then pull them out and put them back in. Like, this is all mind-blowing stuff. So... Okay, so you had it done, and then what happened?
1: <laughs> yes, yes. So I had it done, and um, it's so that's uh, what I have already explained is is the the most intense part of the process. But a stem cell transplant, they they say, is really two years of your life um, because um, after you um, have your stem cells reintroduced and you're building your immune system. Um, you are immunocompromised your immune system's a baby it's basically um yeah your, your immune system has encountered none of the stuff that you have already fought off um growing up um you're uh, if you've been vaccinated for anything that is all null because oh my god uh yeah because the um it, it's an entirely new immune system so they uh, the first 100 days are are a crucial time where you are incredibly vulnerable.
0: Wow. That must be so dangerous. Yes. Um, so you just stay home and like stay in a bubble for 100 days?
1: Basically. Wow. Um, yeah. <laughs> we... Uh, there, I, that's what the classes are um, about, mostly uh, before transplant, are to prepare you for the steps that you have to take. Um, I felt very prepared um, for COVID because I already knew what it was like to have to go through life with a mask on, um, to sanitize constantly. Um, there were certain foods that I wasn't allowed to eat, um, like. Anything from uh, the bulk bins, it Mm -hmm. could uh, is uh, you're more at risk of um, germs uh, being in there, or um, certain fruits that potentially could have chemicals that weren't going to jive well with my new uh, immune system. I just I had to be very very careful. Um, For the first 100 days, um, I still was getting tests um, daily and then weekly uh, through Seattle Cancer Care Alliance to make sure that my immune system was building um, to where it needed to be. And um, uh, yeah, I couldn't work. (laughs) Just staying staying in the apartment, watching a lot of TV, Um, it was... Uh, I needed that time to heal. It was very hard emotionally. I am a person who likes to work. uh, And it was really, really hard not to, um, not to, to just have so much time with your thoughts. I feel like a lot of people understand this now, having uh, having gone through quarantine,
2: Mm
1: -hmm. um, that it's, it's, can be really challenging to just be on your own and and honestly luckily during quarantine and covid we've all kind of been in the same space you know that other people are going through it with you and it was very lonely (laughs) to to be on my own Um, and and I I obviously have my partner and and my mom as a part of that too but not being able to see people not being able to do things was really difficult for those first 100 days so immediately afterwards I was like I'm gonna work (laughs) Uh, which is not typical Um, a lot of people take um, up to uh, a year off of work after getting a stem cell transplant, um, I ended up going back part time, and for me that that was helpful in my journey. It helped me mentally uh, get through uh, that time and 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 heal. I, I genuinely think that I was happier working, <laughs> and being happier helped me be healthier. <laughs> uh, so. Yeah, it, they say that the two years afterwards, after a stencil transplant or a roller coaster, um, there were a lot of ups and downs. Um, I, I had, uh, some, you know, weird, weird reactions after stem cell transplant. I had some rashes that migrated around my body. Yeah, um,
0: just like kids do when their immune system is built.
1: Yes. Yes. Uh, and kind of dealt with those symptoms as they came, um, over the next year. And now I, uh, I feel in a much more stable place. Um, I'm so grateful (laughs) to have, to have had the stem cell transplant and to, um, to feel like they're like this disease is more stable. Um, I don't necessarily think that I am in remission fully. Um, but the rapid progression that I was seeing right before transplant has stopped. Wow! Uh, I, I don't have, um, I've had swallowing issues since then, but they have not been as severe and we've been able to get them under control much more easily. Um, Right after transplant, uh, a lot of the tightness in my skin loosened.
0: Wow, um,
1: I'd I'd say that uh, so, you know some of it is still as loose as it was after transplant. Some of it has continued to progress, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, other parts are better than they were before. So
0: um, there must be like no way to know what your long-term prognosis is because of this, but it seems pretty clear that you've given yourself a lot more time um, yes. than you would have had without this transplant, which is such a gift because you're so young. I mean, how old are you now, if you don't mind my asking? Yeah,
1: I'm, I'm 29. You're
0: 29. I... <laughs> Look at what you've been through.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: That's ridiculous. Uh,
1: I, I am so <laughs> well, grateful now. Yeah. And that's the part of the, that's part of the reason why I did it. I knew it was going to be a huge risk. Um, but I also felt pretty confident that I would have a, um, better outcome or, um, yeah, I I just felt very strongly that because I was young, I needed to try this now Mm -hmm. and, And if it works or helps in any way, which it has, it would be worth it. And it was so worth it. Wow. So glad that my doctor said that this was an option for me.
0: That story was amazing. I was like riveted to that story. When you started talking about the stem cell, I was horrified. You were going to say, yeah, and we're looking into doing that in the future. Cause I was like, oh my God, I want to know what happens. And the fact that we got the whole story, um, Incredible. I'm really blown away. I mean, I uh, just like doing this podcast and learning more and more about what's possible is astonishing, you know. I'm just like, I just want a freaking diagnosis so I can try some shit, you know.
1: I watched that for you too. <laughs> yeah. I, um, listening to this podcast has, has, um, just, exponentially increased my gratitude to my godfather for <laughs> at the very start just being like this is what you have yeah. um, because i i do think that um like uh, my whole treatment plan has been because i had a diagnosis um, Incredible. so i really hope that yeah i mean find-
0: you have been through a lot like you have i've had some some iron infusions last year and a, a, like a couple this year so there 15 minutes you know <laughs> and oh I was in, last time I did it, I was in the hospital for like two hours because they mm-hmm. had to like call downstairs to fill the order for the iron after mm-hmm. I was there and then you have not to wait
1: fill it beforehand because they're like we don't want to fill it we don't want to make it if they're not going to show up
0: exactly and because <laughs> it has to be refrigerated and they yeah. just like fill it and then bring it right upstairs uh but that can take like 10 minutes or three hours you know depending on yeah. the day um so just the idea of a 6 hour infusion it's not just 6 hours you know like <laughs> there's more involved um i can't even imagine doing a 6 hour infusion let alone like a stem cell transplant like it's crazy you've been through so much what, what is your what is your outlook how do you feel about life like what i mean you you have such a like a positive vibrant energy about you which our listeners can hopefully hear I mean that I can see so what what is your outlook now
1: um yeah I I having a chronic autoimmune disease is so weird because I obviously would not wish this on anyone ever (laughs) but I also I've been dealing with this for so long and I'm kind of glad that it I, I have this weird gratitude for for experiencing all that I've experienced um, because it has uh, brought me so much. It has allowed me to form connections with people that I would not have formed. I wouldn't be on this podcast <laughs> without it. Um, but I have so many friends who... Um, might not have scleroderma, but have health problems that I feel like I can empathize with. And we have this shared language um, that even when we're talking about something that has nothing to do with chronic illness, there's that understanding um, that just feels um, like such a deep connection that I so appreciate. Um, And then, of course, it's, it's given me uh, such an appreciation for the things that I am able to do. Um, I, I wasn't able to do a lot during the time that I was going through transplant. Um, I, I missed a lot of shows that I wanted to see. <laughs> I wasn't able to spend time with with friends. Um, and anytime I'm able to do that now, I, I just feel like I have a greater appreciation for all of that um, that I would not have if I, if I didn't know what it was like to not be able to do those things. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, as difficult as it is having uh, health challenges, I I can't say I would give it up.
0: I totally know what you mean. I've said similar things in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, it, it changes you, you know, Yes. Like, it makes you look back on yourself. Well, for me, it makes me look back on myself when I was younger mm-hmm. and less empathetic. And mm-hmm. I just moments where I was frustrated or annoyed with people because of what they, because of their issues or whatever. And I'm so mad at myself because, you know, I've just learned that <laughs> like you got to meet people where they're at. Mm-hmm. And like, I've been through so much that I can now, like, you know, last night. um, Andy and I went to the reopening of the Majestic Bay Theater, which, shout out to the Majestic Bay Theater in Ballard. It's my favorite theater in all of Seattle. It's actually owned by the Elhada family, which is Andy's family. Um, It's got an amazing... I'm like a cinephile. It's got an amazing screen, amazing sound. They make popcorn with real butter. It's just a really fantastic theater. Um, And last night, before reopening, they had like a special screening... Um, mm-hmm. Where they invited some friends and family to kind of test out the theater because it's been closed for, you know, at least a year at this point because of COVID. Right. So we got to go to the theater last night and it was my first time, you know, out post COVID in Seattle in a wheelchair um, mm-hmm. because I've been, you know, in Tahoe, no one knew me there and I was just like jetting around in my wheelchair and it, it wasn't an issue. Mm-hmm. But here, it, I, it was my first experience with like really being looked at differently for being in a wheelchair and it was really disturbing. You know, it, it was like, I I don't, I, I'm excited about my wheelchair because it gives me new opportunities to do things. Like I would not have made it to the theater last night without the wheelchair. Um, But seeing the way people were looking at me was so weird. It was like, I could feel their, their fear around like, Oh no, this guy's young. And he, he, last time I saw him, he didn't have a chair and now he does. So, like, that was projected onto me, and it was so uncomfortable. And I just know that when I was younger, I I was that guy who, like, would see someone in a wheelchair and be like, oh, no, like, what if that happens to me? And, like, maybe struggle to treat that person as a full human, um, which now I'm experiencing from the other side. And um, it's just so disturbing to be looked at like you aren't a full human because of your health. And yes. once you go through it, it changes your life forever. And you never think about someone else's health as diminishing their humanity again. And I wish that there was a way to learn that without having to live it.
1: Absolutely. Yes. Um, I, I feel like there is such a emphasis on independence in our society. And a fear of dependence mm. on, on anything, on other people, on on tools that can actually be really helpful. Um, and I I find I find it so bizarre because dependence and connection are what deepen relationships, mm-hmm. and what makes uh, and and those relationships are what like what makes life worth living that. I, I just wish that, there, that we could get past this, this fear of, of, um, of dependency, of, of disability. I think mm-hmm. that people do not like to be confronted with things that they don't understand. And I don't think a lot of people understand disability.
0: That's so true. I mean, yeah, you, there's no reason for strangers to project their fears onto someone who is disabled. Like that, Mm -hmm. that person, you know, has gone through so much already and like coming to terms with a a disability or a a chronic health condition takes years. And once you achieve it, you've, it's such an accomplishment, you know, like to be happy is such an accomplishment and able-bodied people stop getting in the way of that for the rest of us. You know, like that's not fair. It's not fair. Um yeah. But speaking of dependency, your your mom and your partner Jax have been along this journey with you. How has this affected them and your relationships?
1: Uh (laughs) big question. Um uh I yeah, I guess with my mom, uh it has definitely brought us closer together um i had this plan of i don't know going to the east coast and exploring theater or maybe even teaching english in russia when i was in college and having a health condition meant that i needed to go be with a support system and mm-hmm. that support system was my mom so i moved to the pacific northwest and i'm um I'm really glad that I did in the in the end um i'm really happy to i'm really happy here uh but I can't imagine going through this without her as i said i didn't have a car i don't have a driver's license i still don't <laughs> um, so i I was very dependent on on her helping me out and helping me get to appointments um, and uh Yeah, I'm just so, 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 so thankful to have family close um, during this whole process. Uh, And then in terms of my relationship with Jax, um, we've been together, we've known each other for, I think, 11 years. Um, We've only uh, been together for... Only, sheesh, eight of those. (laughs) (laughs) So she's been here uh, through most of the process. And um, I can confidently say that I would not be here without her and um, her support uh, and her, uh, yeah, just love yeah <laughs> uh, i I cannot speak more highly of of jack's um they've been the perfect caregiver um they're a massage therapist
2: Ooh.
1: Uh Score. <laughs> yeah, also like I always try to, to um to balance it because I know that they're doing that at work. Who wants to come home and do what you're doing at work at home? So I I try to uh to make sure that I'm not taking advantage of that. But yes, <laughs> Jax is always offering um massages, has massaged my hands for years, um, which which helps with the stiffness. Um, I, I'm not going to say that it's a walk in the park. Um, there's definitely uh, compromises that have to be made um, on, on both ends. Uh, there's a lot of guilt that comes with having health problems uh, and being with somebody who doesn't have the same health challenges. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, uh, but communication is is key and um and compromise making sure that uh that i that i'm offering that i have stuff to offer too that um that if i'm having a good day and my hands are feeling good that like i can offer a massage to jacks and and flip the rolls a little bit um but yeah i uh i think that finding, creating, building a support system is so important. And I, um, I'm so lucky to have both my mom and my partner who have been on most of this journey with me.
0: Absolutely. So what medications are you on now? Are you still on immunosuppressant drugs?
1: Yes. I, uh, I am still on cellcept Um, I briefly went off during the transplant, um, because Chemotherapy really takes care of suppressing your immune system. Uh, But right afterwards, I was put uh, back on and continue on that, um, which uh, definitely has a lot of create some challenges still. Um, I, I am immunocompromised. We are in a global mm-hmm. pandemic. Um, and uh, yeah, um, in terms of vaccination, there is a lot of research that's happening now, but when, when vaccines were first being tested, they were tested on people who had working immune systems. So right. there isn't a lot of, known about how effective, um, vaccines are for people who have different immune systems. Um, for me, I have, I was vaccinated. I got my two shots, um, and, uh, my rheumatologist, uh, said, you know, he doesn't recommend this for most healthy people but um for immunocompromised people he was willing to test me to see if i formed antibodies right um and my test came back uh and basically said that i did not that i that the antibodies were not created um which has felt uh, really hard. <laughs> it's hard yeah. because everybody is like, oh, I'm vaccinated. Everything's great. I'm going to start living my life again. And for me, that hasn't been a possibility. Um, I, I um, talked to my doctor and basically the, the answer was you should act like you're not vaccinated.
0: Um, Yeah, this is a big deal. I mean, I I was reading about this recently that people on immunosuppressant drugs do not form COVID antibodies with a COVID vaccine. Uh, Mm -hmm. There's new research coming out now that that is the case. We have proof positive of that right here. I mean, that happened to you. Um, And you are the reason why everyone else needs to get vaccinated because... You, you got vaccinated and it doesn't work for you because of the medication you're on to deal with scleroderma. So the only way that you can go out in the world is if everyone else gets vaccinated. Like this is what we are talking about with herd immunity. It's like, you know, the vast majority of people need to get vaccinated in order for the people who can't get vaccinated to be safe. So yes. getting vaccinated is not just about protecting yourself. It's about protecting Other people, including you, Shauna, including you, like we are everyone who's got vaccinated is helping to protect you. So, um, you know, I'm vaccinated. I'm now getting back out in the world. I went to a movie with no mask on last night and it felt amazing. I mean, of course, there were like everyone who was there was also vaccinated, which was great. Um, And the science is overwhelmingly showing that vaccines are safe and effective. And yes, there are risks there. There are you know, a very small number of people who have had adverse reactions to the vaccine. And that is horrible. And I, those individual people are people, you know, and like, we can't overlook that. But we can also say that the COVID is so much more dangerous, you know, and like COVID is a, a rampaging virus that has taken down the entire world. Uh, so for me, my my thought process has been, um, you know, my my body is not normal. I was a little nervous to get the vaccine, but I felt like the the fear of getting COVID and the the chance that COVID could do some real harm to me is very high. So, the chance that the vaccine could do harm was very low, and I went with the the better chances for myself, and I'm very glad that I did. And it's, you know, this is an individual choice for everybody, but um I, you know, I I just think about you and like the people who can't get vaccinated. And I feel very passionately that those that are willing to shoulder to shoulder that should, but Mm -hmm. that's, that's me. That's my personal thing. You know, everyone do what you want.
1: (laughs) Yes, no, absolutely. Um, And, uh, you know, I felt similarly to you having, um, having health issues there. uh, Yeah. There is always concern when you do anything medically. So I I had some reservations about the vaccine. vaccination, but I also like have lung involvement and this is a disease that can, Mm. that can havoc on your, on your lungs. So I, I got the vaccine hoping that it would work and it didn't. Um, so I'm so, so grateful to the people who, who are getting vaccinated who are able to get vaccinated. um,
0: Yeah. And hopefully they'll figure this out. There's still, this is a brand new field of research um, because COVID is a new disease. So Um, Hopefully they'll be able to figure out how to vaccinate people who are immunocompromised. Um, You know, Dr. Fauci was talking about they're working on a new type of vaccine for all coronaviruses, which Mm -hmm. is incredible. Because when you think about like a huge percentage of the common cold is other coronaviruses. I never knew that. Um, like that's why you can't cure the common cold because it's not one disease; it's like a whole bunch of diseases. That's fascinating. You know, I, things that we just didn't know as as children. But if they are able to make this vaccine against all coronaviruses, maybe they'll be able to figure out how to make it work for um, immunocompromised people. You know, fingers crossed.
1: That would be amazing. I know that there's also talk about. Um, I think if you are immunocompromised and you have COVID um, or this has been something that I I have heard that uh, they can introduce the COVID antibodies in through infusion. And Mm. that has helped um, mitigate some of the severe symptoms. Um, So I think that they're looking into if a direct um, infusion of antibodies might help um, immunocompromised people. So fingers crossed.
0: Yeah. Did you have to get all your vaccinations from childhood again when you reset your immune system? Yes. Wow.
1: <laughs> I do not recommend going through it as a result.
0: <laughs> so, what if COVID wasn't a factor and before COVID hit the scene, what was your what was your life like as far as being able to go out and do things? Did it go back to normal after you were able to kind of retrain your immune system for? for a year or however long it took?
1: Yeah. um, uh, After those first 100 days, I was still um, fairly cautious. I would wear a mask if I was in large groups, um, but felt pretty confident that my immune system was healing in a way that it should and was able to go about my life pretty normally. Um, I... Uh, have always worked part-time in part because that's the theater model mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, and that has worked for me. Um, having some health challenges, it's been easier to... Uh, theater happens at night so it's been easier to schedule doctor's appointments during the day um, and uh, yeah, having having uh, I wouldn't say theater schedule is flexible <laughs> but uh Uh, Having a non-traditional schedule um, has meant that I can balance having, having work and, and taking care of things medically. Um, I still have to be, had to be careful. Uh, Having, being immunocompromised in a non-COVID world still means that you, it is more easy for you to get, common cold for you to get the flu. Um, At one point, I got shingles, um, which was horrible (laughs) uh, because I was under a lot of stress and immunocompromised. Um, And typically, when you're immunocompromised, it's also harder for you to get better. Um, So a cold might last a couple of days for somebody. And for me, it would last... Uh, a week to two weeks um and again it wasn't as um bad as before transplant but i i've definitely still gotten sick afterwards um and and had it last a long time um so it's it's a balance um figuring out what works works for you
0: and you you're gonna have to continue to wear a mask indefinitely Mm -hmm. at this point because of COVID,
1: yeah, uh, yeah, oh, <laughs> I'm a little more, a little more normalized now, and I, I've certainly gotten used to it. There are advantages. I can, when I go on a walk, nobody can see me lip syncing all the lyrics.
2: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> Love that part of it. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yeah, it'll will be a part of my life for for quite a while now.
0: Yeah, which just goes to show, you know masking is a personal choice and some people do it for very good reasons so as we move away from mask mandates um respect other people's choices if someone else around you is masking that's fine it doesn't affect you (laughs) if someone else around you asks you to mask around them that's fine you know like they have a reason to ask and you don't You don't need them to explain everything to you every time, you know, because in order to understand why, you know, you need to wear a mask takes this whole hour and a half conversation. And it's not fair for everyone in your life to expect that of you all the time. So, yeah, I've been thinking about this a lot because I, you know, when we went to Tahoe, no one was wearing masks because Nevada opened before Washington State and Washington State is now open as of like two days ago. So... Um, when I was in Nevada, it was like this crash course and taking the mask off. And I was thrilled, you know, I, I'm fully vaccinated. I feel, um, I, I trust my vaccine and I was, I was just like, great, I'm just going to take my mask off, you know? And I just kind of went for it and it felt really great. And I was so excited about it. And then coming back to Seattle and putting the mask back on for a couple of days before Seattle opened up was a little hard, you know, it was like, oh man, I just got this this freedom back because you know, just driving around the street and seeing people's faces is so different. We're just not used to it at this point, but all of that considered, like if any of my friends asked me to wear a mask for any reason, I would absolutely do it. And it wouldn't be a question. It would just be a sure, you know, like absolutely. And I I don't know. I mean, this whole thing has gotten so wrapped up in politics that we're losing sight of the individuality of it and everyone's, choice is different everyone's experience is different and that's fine that's okay you know like we don't all have to think the same thing or act the same way we're all individual people and like some people are just gonna never get a vaccine and they might have really good reasons for that and that's okay too you know so i don't know the, the whole thing has just been so bizarre and it's so it's really clarifying for me personally to hear your story and to understand your need for a mask, because it really solidifies my belief that um, if someone asks you to wear a mask, do it, you know? And if someone wears a mask and you don't, and they don't say anything about you not wearing a mask, that's fine. Don't say anything about them wearing a mask. It's fine, you know? They're doing what they want to do. It's totally fine. Um, Yeah, it's such a bizarre time to be alive and a scary time to be chronically ill.
1: Yes. Yeah, I feel like this, pandemic has uh, put, for me, has exposed the ableism in the world so, uh, with such clarity (laughs) in a lot of ways. um, I just remember at the beginning of the pandemic when there wasn't, uh, we didn't really know what was going on, um, except that this virus was um, having the worse effects on older people who were sick and people with disabilities. And it seemed like people were, were okay with that. <laughs> uh, and that's, I still even now with the <clears throat> mask mandates being lifted and with um, restrictions being lifted, the priority is always on healthy people, mm-hmm. and um, while that is the majority of people, anyone can get sick at any time, um, and and COVID doesn't discriminate. And COVID becomes a long term can yes. com- become a long term uh, chronic illness. Um,
0: Absolutely, it can turn you into one of us in a second. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yes uh and so i I don't wish that on anyone but i uh i do wish that there was more empathy Mm -hmm. and that the focus was on making it safe for the people who are the most vulnerable because it's a really scary position to be in and 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 we've had to deal with so much (laughs) throughout our lives uh that um uh, this just feels like one more difficult thing to I know. get through that doesn't have to be that
0: way. Yeah, some cultures focus on taking care of each other and some co- cultures focus on taking care of yourself. And we have gone too far in the direction of taking care of yourself first and not taking care of each other. And this is like a global thing. Like, we are all on this planet together. We all need to take care of each other, you know? Like, the, the idea that there are countries out there that have no vaccines and are, you know, like what just happened in India was just so terrifying with the COVID spike they just had. And I'm so relieved that the U.S. is now helping and like sending some vaccines. But um, that should be the norm. It should be the norm that when people are struggling, we help each other. And I understand, like, take care of yourself first. I, I get that mentality. And like, if you're on an airplane and uh something happens and the oxygen masks fall down put your mask on first so that you can help other people but but that's the whole thing is put it on so you can help other people not put it on and then ignore other people and let them die put it on yeah. so you can help other people you know that that mentality needs to to be a part of society and i i don't you know i don't think this show can make a dent in that and because it's you know i would love if that was if that was possible you know Give us a positive rating on Apple Podcasts. Share the show. I'd love to reach a bigger audience. Um, but I, I there, there, we need to do something. You know, like we need to. I, I'm hoping that by sharing stories like yours, people can under like get out of their own heads a little bit and understand what other people are going through to realize that you know the way that you feel about yourself and your life and your beliefs don't apply to everyone, and that's okay. It doesn't mean you have to change everything about yourself. It just means you have to tolerate. The existence of other ideas which is part of what makes us beautiful
1: yes yeah i i could not agree more and i feel like this podcast has has increased my empathy it has uh i've learned so much about other conditions that people have i disability is this this interesting um identity because it uh, it is so broad and so diverse that even if I have scleroderma and I meet somebody else with scleroderma, their scleroderma could affect them completely differently. Um, so yeah, I, I am really grateful to this podcast for, for opening up my eyes to um, to other, Other challenges that people face, and um, and and the ways that they that they live with them.
0: um, That means a lot to me. I I really appreciate that. Um, And speaking of other people with scleroderma, a question I love to ask: What would you tell someone who just found out today that they have scleroderma?
1: Um, that's a big question. Uh, there's this quote, it's the opening line of um, Anna Karenina, which is that, um, I, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but every happy family is happy in the same way. Every unhappy family is unhappy in a unique way. And I feel that way about uh, chronic health conditions. Um is that everybody's journey is so individual mm-hmm. that it is really hard to give um advice uh so i guess more broadly speaking <laughs> is that uh if uh, I, th- I think i mentioned this earlier but um finding building creating a community and a support system is something that has been so helpful for me. uh, And I have had to really expand what support system means to me. Um, I I think traditionally, when you say that, you think of um, your friends, your family, um, other people who might have a chronic illness and then your medical team. And those are all so important. Um, But also finding things that bring you joy that don't necessarily rely on other people.
2: Mm. So
1: part of my support system is um, reading a book uh, or going on a hike or just going walking around the block. Um, Something that is easy for me to do on my own that I know will help. Help me uh, get out of a rut if I'm Mm -hmm. stuck in it. Um, I think that's been my saving grace (laughs) is expanding and building my support system and and finding people who are... um, uh, well, I guess just yeah, finding your community and um, community can be more than just people you know directly, but um, online resources. Like if you're listening to this podcast, you you have found a part of the community, a part of my my support system. And, um, uh, there's this uh, disability advocate, Alice Wong, um, who's on uh, Twitter, who. Uh, compiled this book of personal essays by people with chronic illnesses and disabilities called Disability Visibility.
2: Oh, wow. Uh,
1: And reading that has, was so helpful um, for feeling less alone. uh, And, you know, I follow Alice on Twitter, and she's constantly sharing stories of other people um, across the disability stru- spectrum um, that, like, bring me joy or, or open my eyes every day.
0: That's awesome. That's so cool. I haven't heard of anything so similar to this before. Um, yeah. The idea behind this is just, like, because everyone's journey is so unique, like, let's just share as many journeys as we can. Yeah. Um, that's a, That was a great answer. Um, Shauna, you did so amazing today. I, <laughs> I'm just, i just, once again, every time I record a podcast, I'm like, man, I'm so excited to share this. I'm so excited to share this because that was such a powerful story and completely different than anything we've talked about on the show, which is so interesting because we've talked to someone with a similar disease, another version of this disease. Yes. Um yeah, just such a journey that you've been through. Um, but uh, is there anything that you want to share or plug or point anyone in the direction of before we wrap up today?
1: Uh, well, I um, I am on social media and speaking of community and support systems, um, I am happy to be a part of other people's community oh, and support awesome. system. Yeah, um, You can find me on Instagram or Twitter. Um, my handle is at shanichka s-h-a-w-n-o-c-h-k-a uh, and i have talked so much on this podcast but i actually think i'm a better listener so if you really <laughs> need somebody to listen or um, you know share some more experiences i am um, more than happy to be that for somebody else
0: that's fantastic i love that and i will tag you on the major pain instagram if people want an easy way to find you when i post this episode um wow this was fantastic i'm so glad we did this i i was feeling a little bummed about my experiences last night with you know being seen in a wheelchair and i just feel so much better today after talking to you and i just really appreciate that thank you so much for coming on the show
1: thank you so much for having me jesse it's been amazing
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Major Pain. I'm Jesse Mercury, your host and the producer of this podcast. Artwork by Egg Salad Salad. Our theme music is the song Time Machine from my sci-fi synth pop album, available at jessemercury.bandcamp.com. Send your thoughts or questions to our email address, majorpainpodcast at gmail.com. You can also use that address to find us on PayPal. Tips are greatly appreciated. Don't forget to leave a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Find more information about this show or leave a comment on any episode at our website, MajorPainPodcast.com. Major Pain is supported by listeners on Patreon. Thank you to all of our $2 a month supporters, our $7 per month patrons including Naomi Adele Smith, and our future producers at $25 per month. Learn more at Patreon.com slash MajorPainPodcast.